a week of meetings with our church. And we'd rent a building, we'd hand out flyers, uh, we took our choir, our nursery workers, our ushers, our, you know, and we just went, got a building, held our service, invited folks to come, and by the end of the week, people were saying, you know, our church used to give an invitation, and, and our church used to have preaching like this, and our church used to have music like this, and our church used to use the King James. And uh, by the end of the week, they were saying, well, we'd like a church like like your church. And uh, then we would start a church like our church in their town, and that's really how our ministry got started. Uh, we we did that from 1987 through 1993, and our church was able to start five churches, and then we helped two other churches start churches. So there were seven churches started there, and then in August of 1993, we started the ministry of Baptist Church Planning Ministry, and as you can see, God has uh, God has unbelievably blessed. I just uh, am amazed at what God has done, and uh, it has, in the last few years, it has grown more than I ever thought. Uh, this spring, we have eight church plants this spring. Basically, what we do is we work with a church to start a new church. We don't work with a church planter. We don't believe church planters start churches. We believe churches start churches, and and no one else, and so... Um, we have churches that contact us and they say, look, we're, we're looking at a community, uh, and we want to start a church in that community and we have someone to pastor that new work and we'll go in, meet with them and we'll begin to, to set it up for them and help the pastor, uh, fulfill his goal of starting the church. Uh, and every decision that's made is made by the pastor of the reproducing church because we believe that the church ought to start the new church. And, uh, so we, uh, we, we, uh, work with the church, going in, helping them find the right building, helping them figure out how many John and Romans we need, figure out how we're going to distribute those John and Romans, uh, figure out how we're going to advertise in the community, and then we hold a get acquainted meeting. And, uh, it's sometimes four nights, sometimes five nights. And uh, during that meeting, um, normally one of our staff preaches, uh, and uh, we bring in churches from, from the area, other churches. And when the visitors come, they're not there alone. Uh, it's not as though there are just one or two people there. There are it, there could be uh, any number, you know, uh, depending on how many churches come. And uh, what we try to do during that meeting, we try to do two things. One, we want to show them what kind of Baptist church it is. And we can do that because we have these other people there. They participate in the music, the entire service. They help us handle the entire service. And then secondly, we try to establish credibility of the pastor. Uh, we have found that today when a new man goes into a community, it's not like it used to be. Uh, it's not like when, when I started. You could go into a community and they'd say, oh, he's a preacher. We can trust him. Uh, and today they say, oh, he's a preacher. I wonder what he's running from today. And uh, so we go in and say, look, we know this man, we believe in him, he's going to do a good job, and you can you can count on him. And uh, so that's basically how we've done this. And uh, this spring alone, just this spring, there are eight new churches. Well, really, some of them are in the winter, because we're still in the winter. But from January through through uh, uh, May, there have been eight new churches that we, that we are helping to start. We've already got, our fourth one is next week in Madera, California. Then we have one in Belleville, Ohio, 
Western West Virginia, Portsmouth, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky. Those four are yet to go. And uh, when we go in and help a church, as, as you probably saw there, we never charge for helping a church. We, we cover our own expenses. We've done that right from the beginning. Uh, many of these churches do take on our ministry to support it after they're, they're started and after they start their missions program, for which we're thankful. We don't require them to. But uh, we just believe that if we're going to reclaim America, it's got to be done through the church house, not the White House. And uh, we've got, we've got, and, and Brother Mills mentioned that this morning. Uh, and uh, the other thing that really makes a difference that we really, he just connected on, uh, and that is that when a new church is planted this way, it's planted culturally correct. Because it's it's a church in that area that reproduces the church, and uh, and that to us is very important as well. We we learned that while we were while we were uh, working in in Manitoba. Now, some of you may say, "Well, is this biblical?" I mean, it's great to have a have a method, but is it biblical? And so, what I want to do tonight is I want to look at the scripture and show you where we get our philosophy of ministry from. Uh, I believe everything we do ought to be found in the Scripture. And uh, because of that, our church planting ministry is based from a biblical pattern that's found in the book of Acts. And uh, some of you say, oh, well, we're going to talk about Paul. Well, no, we're not going to talk about Paul because uh, Paul was not the first church planter in the in the New Testament or in, in the in, in after the church was was started and the Lord Jesus went back to heaven. Uh, and we're going to look at the Jerusalem church and church planting. So take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 1 and uh, go through several several passages of Scripture uh, here in Acts and some other passages as well. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Father, thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for this church and we pray for your blessing upon them, uh, particularly in this missions conference. Lord, may they realize the responsibility that they have as a church, not only to reach this community, but to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight you will just bless this message, and we pray for those who cannot be here, that you'd be with them. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you will just use this to really work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in this pastor scripture, we're going to begin looking at the at the book of Acts, uh, right when the Lord Jesus went back to heaven. And so we're going to read from verse 4 down through verse 8 of this passage, verse 9 of this passage, and then we're going to go to several other passages of Scripture. Follow along, please, as I read Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John, like John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, the Lord, uh, they, uh, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. He went back to heaven. And uh, 
Jesus Christ spoke to them for the very last time, and it was now the responsibility of the church to reach the world. Now, Jesus Christ had prepared them, and uh, they, they did a remarkable job, a remarkable job. Uh, but the job is not finished. Did you know that in 1900, there was a Bible-preaching church for every 500 people in the United States? Now, they were not all Baptist churches back then, but they used the King James Bible, they gave an invitation, they preached the gospel where folks could be saved. One church for every 500 people. Today, it is estimated that there is one church like that for every 50,000 people. More mosques are being built in the United States than ever before. There are 17 states that now have approved same-sex marriage. Who would have thought that 15 years ago? Would we have thought in, in our country 15 years ago that that would be the case? A young lady in, um, in uh, Las Vegas was giving her her speech at, at her graduation, and her speech was censored and had the name of Jesus Christ taken out. I mean, every week, every week, there's something on the news where the, the, we are being attacked for our religious views. And something is being said about that. Nearly 4,000 churches close their doors every year. David Gibbs says that the United States has dropped to 18th in sending missionaries around the world. Who would have thought 15 years ago we would have this conversation every year at Christmas about saying Merry Christmas? Every year we have that conversation now. Every year it is questioned. We would never have dreamed of that. Between 1950 and 1970, for every 1,000 churches, uh, for for every 1,000 churches, there were 1,400 churches planted. 1,400 planted for every 1,000. Between 1970 and 1990, for every 1,000 churches, there were 750 planted. Between 1990 and 2010, for every 1,000 church, there were only 250 planted. That's a, that's a drop of 200% in the last 20 years. And it's getting worse and worse. How did we get into this mess? What happened to our country? I believe it's because we stopped planting churches. We still have the big meetings about soul winning and, and building churches. But we don't hear much on church planting. Getting a church started out in, a, in, a, in an area nearby. And there are areas in our major cities that are going unevangelized. Because the big churches are not planting churches out there. They're saying, oh, well, we're reaching that area. The only people they are reaching are people that already believe like them. They're not reaching new people. They're not reaching new people. We must develop a philosophy of ministry where we are, that's going to make a difference in reaching this world with the gospel. 
When we were pastoring in Winnipeg, Manitoba, we had about 120 people when we got there. I was affected with the same philosophy that most preachers were back in that day. That success was lots of people, lots of money, and lots of buildings. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Mills. And I wanted to have 500 in five years. That was my goal. And I could. When I was living in Winnipeg, there were only two other independent Baptist churches. One was downtown, very, very small in the inner city, and one was on the other side of town. Winnipeg was 650,000 people. We had 250,000 people around our church, just around our church, with no other Baptist church that preached the gospel. My goal was 505 years. But I had a philosophy of starting churches. And I got there... I got there in September of 1987. We started our first church in October of 1988. We started our second church in February of 1989. We started two churches on the same Sunday in 1990. We held two 13-day meetings, back-to-back. And our people went to church every night. And our church grew. Our church doubled in three years. On On our third anniversary... One of my deacons came to me and he said, Preacher, do you realize how many people in church today? And I said, what do you mean, Ross? He said, well, if you take our congregation and the churches that we have started, he said, there are 600 people in church today. And I realized that I had reached my goal in three years. They just weren't in one building. They don't have to be in one building. And they shouldn't be in one building. There ought to be churches scattered all over. Community after community where they can reach that community with the gospel. Let's look at what the word of God says. Let's talk about what Jesus taught the disciples. First of all, notice the charge given to the church. Go back with me to Matthew, please, chapter 18. Now keep your finger here in Acts because we're going to come back to Acts and be in that in that book most of the time. But there's a few passages I want you to look at. In Matthew 18, Jesus said this. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now this we know is the Great Commission. And it's threefold. It is evangelize. He said, teach all nations. We must go out and win folks to Christ. Missions, the immediate goal of missions is to evangelize, win people to Christ. The ultimate goal of missions is to plant churches. We have not fulfilled the Great Commission until we have evangelized, and then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. We are to see them saved. We are to see them baptized. And thirdly, it says we are to mobilize them. We are to teach them to observe all things. Where do you do that? You do that in a local church. The church. You see, God gave us the church. Now listen carefully to this. This is very important. A lot of people don't understand this. God gave us the church for the good of the Christian like God gave us the home for the good of the child. And as the child is, as the home is good for the child, the church is good for the Christian. You cannot be the right kind of Christian without being a member of the church. You say, what? Can you prove that in scripture? Why? As a matter of fact, I can. 
All right, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And notice what the Bible says. Jesus here is preparing the church, which I believe he started. Jesus started the church, and he's preparing the church for their, their public inauguration when the Holy Spirit comes. And in Acts chapter 5, here's what he said in verse 14. Look what he says. I've got a new Bible here. I'm, I read through a Bible every few months for my grandchildren, and I have 17, and I'm way behind. And so the pages are not flipping the way I would like for them to. But notice, please, what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, I want to ask you a question. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. Who do you think he's talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to those who said, Jesus, you're the Christ. We believe you're the Christ. Now, notice what he said in the next verse. In verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, Jesus said this, by the way, this is, it's four times it's found in the Gospels. Uh, it's found here, twice in Luke, once in Mark, or twice in Mark and once in Luke. Each time it says it's a vessel, a bed, or a bushel. Under a bushel, vessel, or a bed. Every time he says, or it's attached to a candlestick. Now in one, in, 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 in the one area, it's different, but in the other area, it's always the same. He always said candlestick. Now, this light, we sing the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. This light, you can, you as a light, you can, two things can be done with this light. You can put it under a bushel, put it under a bed, put it under a vessel, or you can attach it to the candlestick. Is that what Jesus said? That's what he said. Look look at what he said there again. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to see what the Bible says. It's not about me. It's what the Bible says. Jesus said, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine, that they may see your good works, and before men that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, how are you supposed to let your light shine? Under a bushel or attach the candlestick? I mean, Jesus said your light is supposed to be attached to this candlestick. So what does he mean, a candlestick? Well, go with me to Revelation chapter 1 and look at verse 20 and find out what Jesus said there. And by the way, I, I think Jesus knew what he was talking about. In Revelation chapter 1, Again, as I said, my pages are sticking together. Verse 20. The Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now he's talking about the churches of Asia. Jesus said that the church, 
that the candlestick means the church. And he said in Matthew and several other passages that this light can either be put under a bushel or attached to the candlestick. So I believe that I can make the statement correctly that says, you can't be the Christian you ought to be unless you're attached to the church. Because that's what Jesus said. I'm not making that up. It's right there. And Jesus taught that to this church that he was, that he was building. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now go back with, with me to math, uh, to Acts again, please, to chapter one and look at verse four. We see the direction that he gave them. Notice the desire the church had in verse four. And being assembled together with them, commanded them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now, if you go to Luke chapter 24, he said basically the same thing. He said, tarry in Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me they were ready to go. It, it's, it's, I was with this preacher, uh, in Tennessee. He was in the car, I was in the car, the kids were in the car, but his wife was still in the house. He had the car running. I reached over and blew the horn. I just, just blew the horn. He, he did this to me. He said, what'd you do that for? When she came out the door, you could see the steam rolling out of her ears. Man, was she ticked. He quickly rolls down his window and says, he did it. I'm sitting over here and I said, I didn't do it. <laughs> she knew I'd done it. <laughs> you don't want to rush a woman when she's getting ready to go to church. Now, man, let me tell you, it's our fault for doing this. It really is. Because if I buy my wife earrings, she's got to find a necklace to match the earrings. She's got to find a dress to match the necklace. She's got to find shoes to match the dress. She's got to find a... And that's going to make me late. It's just easier to buy her a trolling motor, you know? <laughs> just just buy her a trolling motor or a gun and be done with it, you know? But, uh, I, of course, ladies, I'm just kidding here. My wife is with me, of course. But... Uh, yeah, that's right. I may need to ride home. Jesus said, don't you depart. Don't you leave. It's like you standing at the door with your Bible in one hand, keys in the other, and she's there trying to get ready, and you're stomping your foot, and she says, don't you walk out that door till I'm ready to go. Now, not that my wife has ever done that to me. <laughs> I want to add that. But, you know, she said, don't you leave. I'm ready to go. Don't you leave? Jesus said, hey, don't you leave yet. What does that tell us? That tells us that these, these Christians in this first church, they were ready to get out of Jerusalem and go do what they were supposed to do. And he said, don't you leave until the Holy Spirit comes. Now look at verse 8, and you'll find the dedication of this church. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The Lord said, look, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive this power, and I want you to be witnesses for me. And by the way, we get our English word martyr from that Greek word. This word doesn't mean witness. It doesn't mean to take, take gospel tracts and hand them out. That's not what that word means. It means sacrificer of all, even life itself. 
You know, the sad thing in most, most of us in our churches are not willing to sacrifice anything anymore. Folks aren't willing to even sacrifice to come to Sunday night church or Monday night or Tuesday night when you've got a missions conference. We're unwilling to make any sacrifices to get the job done. It's no wonder we're so weak. It's no wonder we have such problems in our country. Church after church after church that I am in, they're not on the offensive. They're on the defensive. Let's just hold on. Just hold on a little longer. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're supposed to be moving forward. We're not supposed to be defending anything. We're supposed to have those offensive, we're supposed to be having the offensive equipment from Ephesians chapter 6 and on the move to take it. Being willing to sacrifice. Where were they supposed to sacrifice? It says, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. He told them where to go. He said, look, we're going to start here in Jerusalem and we're going to branch out and we're going to go to Judea and Samaria and we're going to take the whole earth. That's what we're going to do. And they were ready to do it. But they had to wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. But they were willing to get out there and do it. We need folks that are willing to make that sacrifice. I'm afraid churches today aren't willing to make that. When I pastored in Winnipeg, in the month of June 1990, the only thing we had in our church was Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, and Wednesday night service, and the crowd was about one-third of what it normally was. Because everybody was out there with two church plants for four straight weeks. We never had a youth meeting. We never had a ladies' meeting. We never went soul winning in our town. Not one thing for four straight weeks. Our teenagers would babysit for families so mom and dad could go, the kids could go to bed early and mom and dad could go to the meeting. Get out there and go to the meeting. Our ladies, they couldn't, some of them couldn't go, but they would pray. There'd be prayer meetings, praying for those churches that we were starting. One of those churches started, one of those two churches started with 65 on the first Sunday. The other started with 16. We held the meetings during the Strawberry Festival. They've even changed the, their anniversary Sunday from when they started the church because it's right in the middle of the Strawberry Festival every year. Pastor told me, he said, we just moved it. Our people were willing to make the sacrifices to get the job done. In chapter 2, the, whole, the Comforter fills the church. The Holy Spirit comes. And we see the church experience great revival. And uh, it, it's what they've been waiting for. I mean, I mean, they were thrilled that on the first Sunday, 3,000 people were saved and baptized and joined the church on that Sunday. 3,000 people got saved. I'll tell you, uh, wouldn't it be something if next Sunday you came and, and somebody was sitting in your seat, D, somebody was sitting where you normally sit, you had to move? And you thought, good night, what's going on here? Preacher gets up and preaches and 20 people come down the aisle and trust Christ. Sunday night, you come back, you don't, you can't even get a seat, man. You get, you're stuck up there in the balcony someplace, standing up. The preacher preaches, and another 20 people get saved. Pastor, you'd start meetings right away every night, wouldn't you? Monday night, you'd have a meeting. 
And another 20 get saved. And pretty soon you got to move out of this building and you move to a bigger building and people are getting saved. I'll tell you what, the preachers from around here would be flocking to come to here to get in on it. I can see it now. Sword of the Lord. Brother Wickler's picture on the front page. Revival at Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. Wouldn't that be something? That's what happened. I mean, they had a, they, they were, they, people were, people were healed, uh, and, and people were saved, and God was moving, they had great results, 3,000 people saved in one day, within weeks or months, there were 5,000 men in the church. 5,000 men! Think how many women and children there were! When you get men, when you get men, you get families! This church was growing and they had, they had a great reputation. In chapter 5 verse 11 it says this, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. It's no wonder. God was doing great things there. Can you imagine being in church Sunday morning and the, an offering is taken? They were meeting the needs of other people and an offering is taken and Ananias comes and brings his offering and he says, preacher, we sold some land and here's the money. And Peter said, uh, Ananias, is that how much you sold your land for? He said, yep. And he dropped dead. And Peter said to the ushers, ushers, I want you to come carry him out. He lied to the Holy Spirit. And God killed him. Now his wife's going to be here in our evening service. Boy, I tell you, that's a service I'd want to be in. I wouldn't want to be going off to Judea and Samaria and starting a church someplace. I, if my wife was not there, I'd go home and say, honey, you got to go back to church with me tonight. You're not going to believe what happened this morning. We're going back. She comes, she lies uh, about it, and she drops dead. Yeah, they had a great reputation. I mean, everybody was afraid of what was going on there. And all of a sudden, the people that were supposed to leave weren't leaving. And I, and I understand it. I mean, they, they had people to deal with, people that were getting saved. I, I mean... That was, things were going on. I understand. But when they didn't leave, the church started to have problems. They had problems within. The problem of deceit in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 6, they have the problem of division. Well, our, our widows are not getting what their widows are getting, and we're really upset about it. Can you imagine in a church where things like that are happening? I mean, right after this happens with Ananias and Sapphira, they start grumbling and complaining because their widows are not getting what the other widows are getting? Problems in the church. Not only do they have problems in the church, they had problems outside the church. In chapter 4 and verse 3, they're arrested. In chapter 4 and verse 18, they are threatened. In chapter 5 and verse 18, they're put in prison. Chapter 5 and verse 40, they are beaten. And in chapter 7, verse 59, Stephen is stoned. One of the seven men that were ordained in the church. I'm not sure they were deacons. doesn't say they were deacons. But they were ordained in the church to, to help with the ministry. Stephen, one of those, preached a great message, and he's stoned. Now look with me at chapter 8. Go with me to chapter 8 and verse 1. Now 
the Bible says, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And the Bible says they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. I don't know how many people were in the church, but there were tens of thousands of them. And God allowed persecution to come on the church, and he scattered them. Now, that means they were thrown. They went out just as you would throw seed in the air and the wind would catch them. They, they just went wherever they could go to get out of Jerusalem because of the persecution. Who do you think brought that persecution? God did. God brought that persecution. Why? Because look where they were scattered to. The Bible says they were scattered into the regions of Judea and Samaria. In chapter 1 and verse 8, that's where he told them to go. And they didn't go. So God brought persecution on the church. And brought, God brought correction to the church. And they, he, he forced them to flee out. And on Sunday morning, this happened. Preacher, uh, we don't have any bus drivers for our buses today. Really? Where are they? Well, they're gone. Preacher, we don't have any young people today in our church. Really? Where are they? They're gone. Preacher, we don't have a choir today. Really? Where are they? They're gone. They're gone. Preacher, we don't have any ushers today. Well, just get somebody else to take the offering. Preacher, I don't think you understand. There's nobody in church today. They're gone. And when Sunday morning came, when Sunday morning came, the only people who were left, according to the Bible, were the apostles. Can you imagine if that happened today in some of our churches? <laughs> some of our big churches, if that happened and Sunday morning came, it was just the preachers across the platform and the, and the pastor and where, you know what he'd do? He'd climb on the steeple and jump off. That's what he'd do. He couldn't handle it. God brought this persecution and forced them to go out. What did they do when they went out? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now that word preach is the same word that we get our word evangelized from. What they do? They left Jerusalem, they went out to Judea and Samaria in, in cities and communities, and you can look at chapter 8 and, 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 and chapter 9 and you can see all these places that they went, and they went out telling other people about Jesus. You know what happened? Churches got planted. The first church planters in the Bible were not preachers, they were laymen. They were people out of the local church in Jerusalem that God forced out. And he clearly says, not the apostles. Clearly says that. And they went out preaching the word. Evangelizing. Telling folks about Christ. And people were getting saved. And when they got saved, they got baptized. And I think the men of chapter 6 did the baptizing. I think they were the ones out there baptizing and forming churches throughout Judea and Samaria, and Galilee. How do you know that? Let's go to chapter 9 and verse 31. Now, all of that I'm telling you is found in chapter 8 and chapter 9. But look at chapter 9, verse 31. 
Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now that verse is a very important verse in your Bible. It's the first time the word churches is found in the plural form. Up until this time, there was one church at Jerusalem. But now there are churches. And when you diagram the sentence, it's diagrammed this way. Churches were multiplied. I mean, churches were popping up all over the place. Why? Because of these people that were out there evangelizing people who were getting baptized and churches were being started in all these little hamlets and cities and towns, Damascus and throughout Samaria and all these places, churches are being started. And I want you to notice something else about this verse. It said, then had the churches rest. That word means peace and tranquility. All of a sudden, they didn't have the persecution that they had. Now, the government didn't change. The church changed. The church changed. And when the church started doing what the church was supposed to be doing, they had rest. And I just wonder what God would do in our country today that, that we'll never do through the Tea Party, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, or anybody else. Only God could do it if the churches started doing what they were supposed to be doing. If they'd be willing to be witnesses, willing to sacrifice, willing to sacrifice all if it's necessary to see churches planted. And get off, get, get out of their, their comfortable seats and, and in their comfortable churches and go out and be actively involved in planting churches. I wonder what would happen in this country. I want you to go please with me to chapter 11. We'll close. Look at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. We're going to stop right there. Now what it says there. It says he's talking about these people in chapter 8 and verse 1. Who were they? They were simply laymen and members of the church. These laymen traveled. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled. Now in chapter 8 and verse 1 they were scattered. But now they are traveling. On Saturday we were down in Rosemont. I was down there visiting some friends and had met with my pastor and met with my staff uh, on Saturday and so on. I got in the car down there. I went up Cedar Avenue, north on Cedar Avenue, got on 494, came west on 494, came up around the city, got on 55, came down 55 to, I'm not sure the name of the street, but turned on that street that turned into Pulaski, got down there and found his address and walked up to his door and knocked on it. Now, when he answered the door, I did not say, where am I and how did I get here? I knew where I was going. I traveled there. I planned it. These people left Jerusalem and they traveled to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, and to Antioch. They went there on purpose. The church at Jerusalem had developed a ministry, a church planting ministry. 
And they started sending their people out to other communities to preach the word of God. And Antioch was one of these towns. When they got to Antioch, they preached the word of God. Notice what it says. Preaching the word to none but, but to Jews only, and some of the men which were of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they had, were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. They got up there, they got to be preaching, the people got saved, I believe someone baptized them, and a church was started, and they sent word back to Jerusalem. Look at the next verse, verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now Barnabas goes to Antioch, he goes to get Paul, comes back in a year and a half, He's he is the pastor, I believe he is the pastor of that church. Who put him as the pastor? The church of Jerusalem. Who was it, who was in, who was the one in charge of starting that church? The church in Jerusalem. Who started the church? People out of the church. I'll tell you what, we could change this country if we had 1,000 churches that planted a church every five years. We could change this country. And all we've done is trying to follow a biblical plan, a biblical plan to help start churches. I have 17 grandchildren. Some of the age of some of these kids right here. And I'm concerned about what kind of country they're going to have. What if the church at Jerusalem had not done this? What if they'd have just said, let's just stay right here. Let's just, let's just minister right here. Do you realize you and I wouldn't be saved? We would not be saved. Had it not been for the church in Antioch and the great missionary journeys of the apostle Paul going out and planting churches that planted churches, uh, throughout their, their areas and expanding over to Spain and up into, to Europe, we would not be saved. And you look at these kids that are here. Your grandchildren, I think, aren't they? They're going to grow up. And they're going to be, Robin, they're going to be your age. What kind of America are they going to have? Dee, what about, what about your children? They're going to grow up. What kind of America are they going to have? If we don't do something, and soon, we're going to lose this country. And we have determined that we're going to do what we can to help change it. And this is the message that we're taking to church after church, and this is this is what we're just simply trying to do, is helping churches, reproduce churches, just like the Jerusalem church did. It's the only way, only way, we're going to get this country back. Let's pray.